Welcome to Roundtail Radio, the podcast from Roundtail Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome, and my name is Shannon White. I am the pastor for spiritual development here at Roundtail Community Church. And today, for those of you in our viewing audience, you will see someone who is familiar to you. For those in our listening audience, we welcome Tanya Priyatka, who is our administrative assistant here at the church. She wears many hats, though. She's also the co-coordinator of Children's Ministries, and she is a can-do person. <laughs> so Tanya, <laughs> it is so great to have you here to talk about who you are and your connections to Ukraine. We haven't done a podcast on Ukraine with you, with somebody from Ukraine. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your connection to the country, why this is important, and and to give us some insights um, as we go forward here. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your connection, your family connection to Ukraine. So I am a first-generation Ukrainian-American, meaning my grandparents came over to this country after the Second World War um, through the DP camps, the, the, the displaced person camps in Germany. Uh, they spent a couple years there. That's where they met my mother's uh, parents as well as my father's parents, where I'm Ukrainian 100% through and through both sides. Um, and they spent some time in Germany, and then they went through Germany to my mother's side, went to Brazil. Um, and my father's side went to Austria. And the reason they did that was back when they were coming to the United States, it was, um, they had to wait, wait through the quota system and they had to have sponsors and they had to wait their turn to come into this country. So that's where they spent their time waiting. And, um, they lived for about 10 years in Brazil and my father's side lived, you know, probably around seven or eight years in Austria. And that's where my parents were born in those countries on their way over to the United States. Um, and they came to the U.S. probably in the, I'd say around 1956 or so, I think it was 55, 56. And many years later, uh, I was born um, and my sister was born. And uh, we, they stayed, you know, they got into this country through the United States, into the United States, into New York City, which is where many, many immigrants came through. Um, and, you know, there was a big Ukrainian community in New York City. There is a whole area called Little Ukraine that's down in the Lower East Side. Uh, there's still a big church there. There's still a big, a fairly large community, although now I'd say more, less so, just because children of those initial immigrants and grandchildren have now filtered out into um, suburbia uh, and different areas in the tri-state region. But uh, that's where they came through. And it was really like being in a home away from home for them because they created a Ukrainian village, a Ukrainian community, where literally when you'd walk down the street, you heard more Ukrainian being spoken than you heard Amer English. And it was, uh, you know, going to the Ukrainian Catholic school uh, growing up. They, they attended um, St. George Ukrainian school and there was many children of immigrants there at that point. Um, there were Ukrainian scouting organizations and different youth activities. And honestly, it was almost every night of the week, it was something that was Ukrainian related. Um, and they did that with an intention and a, a real thoughtful purpose to it. Uh, because when they left, they were leaving for p political refuge rather than economic or any other reason. And many of them knew that they would probably not be back for a good long time. Um, the Soviet Union was taking firm hold uh, in Ukraine and in the Eastern Bloc countries at that point. And uh, their intention was to 
create a microcosm of Ukrainianism abroad while they couldn't be in their homeland. So they set out with great intention to make sure that we, their children and grandchildren and, and others, um, spoke Ukrainian, learned Ukrainian, went to Ukrainian churches, whether they were Orthodox or Catholic or what, uh, you know, to participate in Ukrainian activities so that we literally, when the country became, and this was their incredible, hopeful enthusiasm towards things, uh, when it would become eventually free Ukraine again, we could literally be picked up, transplanted, and put into Ukraine and fit right back where we were when we left. So that was, and in fact, um, you have you have continued on that heritage, right? You have you have been to Ukrainian school here. You've your children are. So tell us about that. How have you continued that? Well, yeah, that it's important to my well. The fact that I married a Ukrainian person was a, an intentional thing. Uh, you know, I I always wanted to have that connection with somebody else who had the same traditions and history and and upbringing as I did and. Going to Ukrainian summer camps during the summer, that's where I met my husband. Um, he was a counselor and I was a camper. And at the time it was all above board, of course. Uh, but many years later, we connected uh, after I was done with college. And, you know, we, we set out to create a family that would understand and recognize who they were and where they came from. So uh, we both, he and I, we both attended Ukrainian school for, you know, 12 years growing up and our children did the same thing. Um, sometimes not so willingly, <laughs> but, but they did. And they, I think in hindsight now appreciate the fact that, you know, we stuck it through. Um, but we, you know, we raised them to speak Ukrainian and to know who they are, where their grandparents came from and to understand their culture and respect it. So, um, you know, when, when February 24th rolled around this year and, uh, the Russians invaded our country again, um, it was, very painful for all of us. Uh, we're still very much in touch with family that's there. So, so talk about that. Where, where are people, where are you in contact with them and what's, what's going on for them? Sure. I mean, the first couple days of the war were incredibly challenging. Um, there was a lot of confusion both over there as well as over here. And I, I, it took me about two or three days before I can actually communicate with my family that was there. Literally I was there just, in October of 2021. So um, when the war broke out in, in 2022, I mean, it was just a couple months later and it was the most surreal thing, thinking I had literally just been walking on those same streets just months, you know, weeks, weeks and months before that. Um, but getting in touch with my family was challenging. The um, initial days, they were scared, unsure. You know, I remember when I did finally get in touch with them, I think it was like the 27th or the 28th and they said you know we woke up and it was there were bombs raining down around us and even though um well i have family in the capital city of kiev and i also have family on the western border with poland uh in lviv which it's always i always think is really funny now most people um at one point in my life had no idea where even ukraine was and now it's gotten to the point where they know not only where the country is but where some of the smallest little villages are because we talk about it so and hear about it so often on tv um but they live you know about 30 miles outside of the polish border so the ones in kiev were probably the most affected uh by by the actual invasion by the actual military aspect of the invasion um, because they I think 
at one point, the um, bombs were raining down probably as close as three miles away from where they lived. So there were some tense evenings uh, in bomb shelters in the deep uh, cave subway stations, um, which thankfully were built to be particularly deep, and that was intentionally done after World War II as well. Um, but uh, they spent some nights down there. And then the, the family that I have more on the western side was really more involved with the refugee situation because so many millions of people were streaming through their city on their way to making uh, their, their trip to Poland and to some of the other Western European countries. So they were out there, you know, volunteering with food distribution, clothing distribution, you know, and some of the stories that they were telling us were incredible. Just, you know, some people that were coming through with literally very little um, and just what they were able to collect in their bags uh, and get the heck out of town. So, yeah, it was it was tough. You know, we wanted to be there with them. We wanted to be doing something for them. And we felt extremely helpless. And they felt uh, like, you know, they just really were very scared in the beginning. Um, I want to just stop here for a minute and just let you, because it's an emotional, it's an emotional thing that what you're saying, the impact on real people. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think now three months into the war, it's a little bit more of, you know, we're just all trying to do what we can. We've kind of collected our emotions a little bit more than those first few days. But when I start thinking about it, it's, it's tough. Of course it's it tough. is. Of course it is. I mean, we're, we're seeing news reports, but you're getting the personal impact from people that you know, and people you love. Yeah, and it's, and it's your country, right? Yeah. It's, that's your heritage. Right, right, absolutely. And, you know, there is some even sense of um, survivor guilt going on in, in amongst myself, my peers, my, uh, my friends that. who what grew up. Well, you know, we grew up, um, it was literally one decision made by someone in our families, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago that, could have been a different decision that would have left us in country rather than choosing to emigrate to some of the other countries around uh, that were taking Ukrainian immigrants after uh, the Second World War. And I, to this day, when I visit with my family there, we often talk about the fact that some of my aunts um, literally remember the very day that my grandmother got on that train to go to Germany. And the fact that that one decision had a cascading effect that led her to Brazil, that led her to New York, that, you know, and I was born here and I had a very, I had a very privileged life and not necessarily financially, but just freedom, you know, freedom to choose what I wanted to do, freedom to, to uh, go to school, to speak whatever language I wanted to, to um, attend churches regularly, uh, whatever, whatever it is that we wanted to do, we had that freedom to do. And I never really thought about it that much until the war broke out. But so many of my friends and so many of my family members who stayed behind and their lives took a different path were now in harm's way. And I was fortunate enough to not be. So there was a feeling of, um, why me? You know, how come I got so lucky? And what more can I do now to to doubly, triply give back to what I, to the people that were suffering through everything that was going on there. So that was- All right, so it, was, it goes two tough. ways here. So one is the, what can I do, which we'll get to in a minute. But the other piece is you're a woman of faith. So where do you put this in the context of your faith, of 
that this was, this is your path versus the path that, you know, could be echoed in so many stories of immigrants that make up this country, right? Absolutely. Whose whose ancestors left their homelands to come to America, the United States, for a different life. So, so many people who made up this country could say that same thing. But where, how do you fit it into your faith journey? Because you're you're Ukrainian Catholic, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. And and how does how does that make sense for you? Well, you know, it's um, it's challenging. I think there are days where I really am asking God, why did I get this opportunity? Um, what what am I supposed to be doing with this opportunity? You know, if I was given this opportunity, then why? And am I doing what I need to be doing in order to truly take advantage of the opportunities that I've been given? So there's a lot of questioning. Um, there's a lot of wondering why, uh, what my calling truly is. And, um, you know, the question, I guess, is a, is a good thing, in ge- even in general terms, you should, personally, I think you should always be wondering what your calling is and, and are you on the right path? You know, we have one time, one life, we hope, we hope to get it right the first time. And if we don't, we hope on the second time. <laughs> but no, just, uh, you know, we hope to, or at least I hope to uh, really use what I've been given, the opportunities I've been given. And that's, that's where I am right now with this. It's praying for the praying for peace, praying for a return to peace, but more so praying for guidance and understanding in what my calling is. So, and you are a woman of action. There is no doubt about that. So, <laughs> for instance, when my daughter and I joined a couple of Round Hill folks for the, the march in Stanford, you were one of the organizers of that. <laughs> and yes. then the whole Ukraine concert. So tell me, tell me about the, the call, how call fits into what you have done in those pieces and even further steps that you might be thinking about down the road. So that, that feeling, I think the feeling of calling and being purposeful and being uh, of use to Ukraine and Ukrainians um, and wanting to do something, you know, that sense of the, the survivor guilt, going back to that just a little bit, it's, it, it spurs me to want to do more because I think if I was in the country and if I was experiencing it all, I'm not sure I would be as effective in helping others. I think I would be too concerned about what's going on with me and my fa- immediate family. I, I think that that's a natural thing. Um, but given that I had that opportunity to have a little perspective and to know that, well, I may not be able to pick up a, a, a weapon and go fight, and I may not be able to dole out a bowl of soup to a, to a refugee that's crossing a border, but I can help others to help the people I want to help. So when it all broke out in the beginning and uh, when people would come to to me and to others in the Ukrainian community and say, what can we do? That that really motivated me to say, okay, what can we do? And so those first couple of days, that march that you, the peace march that we attended in, in Stanford, um, you know, we organized, we, talk, we just went and started picking up phones and saying, we need to do something. And I mean, the outpouring of support and generosity was amazing. Everybody just said, name it. Yeah, name what you want to do and we will help you do it. And so 
we started with things like the peace march but then we started realizing that over time it was you know yes it's important to get the word out but now people know about it so now what can we do next and it's to support the ongoing efforts of the volunteers on the ground uh, and their families and the families of people who are who literally have had to take up weapons and and protect their homeland well their families need help as well so that's my job that's what and I so want to do what right are now. the particulars of what's needed because we over here may say oh well people need clothes but that may not be what the need is so what would you say from from your inside insider viewpoint you know it changes very quickly um in the beginning it was things like clothes and food and you know medical supplies um for the refugees because they literally were walking across the border carrying a, a shopping bag of stuff that they could collect then we started hearing things like the clothes were getting stopped at the border and they were being bottlenecked and they weren't getting to the right places so that became ineffective use of of our efforts um, then it was more things like medical equipment, uh, first aid equipment, things along that, that nature that were going uh, to volunteers and then the volunteers were going to try to get them out to, the, to where they were being needed the most. So it's a constantly evolving thing uh, as people start realizing that their hometowns have been reclaimed by Ukrainian forces and maybe it's a little more peaceful to return to them, we're seeing now thousands of refugees turning around and coming back. So there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done in order helping to help them resettle because what they come back to may not be what they left behind. There may not be a house, there may not be anything left there and they'll be building from scratch. So that's going to be the next focus on things. Um, and then of course, I mean, once we win this war and we reclaim all our territories, it's going to become a matter of rebuilding the country and the financial and economic burden that that's going to be is just astronomical, just astronomical. I mean, the numbers that um, you know we're hearing from the Ukrainian government, because in addition to listening to, um, to the American news channels, we listen to news channels coming right out of Ukraine and it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 billion every week of infrastructure damage that's being done. It's just mind boggling. So it's constantly changing. Yeah. So how do you talk about this with your kids? And, and how do you maintain hope? Well, you know, hope is an interesting thing. I think the more, the more you feel effective and the more you can do stuff and you see that that effort is, is making an impact in someone's life, it gives you hope that you can keep, keep doing something um, and keep, you know, keep on keeping, I guess, is the, is the theme in our house these days. Um, my children, it's interesting. My daughter was on, on a college campus in the Midwest when the war broke out. And um, believe it or not, there is a Ukrainian club out there at her school. And so she got very involved with them. And they also organized uh, peace rallies, marches, candlelight vigils, collection of medical equipment that, you know, first aid equipment that was sent over um, so that they were also feeling like they could do something. And these were many of the kids that are in the Ukrainian club are similar of age and also backgrounds where their families came over after the Second World War. So she had a lot in common with them and they were giving interviews on the local media. Uh, you know, people were asking them what, what could be done. So that gave her a sense of of feeling like she was part of the solution. Uh, my son is at uh, the local high school here, a public school, 
and he's you know, he's been doing his own little thing. He's big into hockey. That's his sport. And so he organized activities for, you know, some of his uh, ice hockey buddies to, to be doing a, a fundraiser for Ukraine and, and whatnot in his own little way. You know, he's kind of different from my daughter. He's not as outgoing. He's a little bit more on the quiet and shy side. So he does his little work quietly and powerfully, but it's his. And um, so, you know, we talk about it and we pray about it. We do a lot of uh, outreach to to see how we can help and keep keep keeping that faith that it's all gonna pan out in the end. You know, and it's what do work you out. pray for? But what do you pray for? I think we pray mainly. I mean, it's easy to say that we pray for peace because clearly, I think we all want peace in our world, whether it's in Ukraine or anywhere else. But I would like that our country in Ukraine would feel that opportunity for the kids that I. For the kids who have grown up in the last 30 years in a non-Soviet Ukraine, in a free and independent and democratic, democratic Ukraine, they understand what it means to have that freedom and those choices. And that's why I think so many of them are fighting so hard. We tasted it and it's good <laughs> and we don't want to go back. And so for them to have that bright future that they want so badly, that's what we pray for. That's a beautiful way to wrap it up. Would you bless us in Ukrainian before we go? Wow. Okay. Let's see. Um, I will say just a very, very short um, prayer to our guardian angels. This is something we've been saying with our children since they were tiny little children. But Anhelimi Koronetilumi. Sapremenisti, rano vecir v denuci, potmi do pomoci, stereje dušu i tilo moje, zavedemene do žitja vičnoho, amin. And basically that's our version of our angel guardian taking care of us and helping us to find our way to, to heaven eventually. May it be so. Tanya Priyadka, sister, friend, woman of faith, Thank you so much for being part of this conversation today and for sharing your, your love and your heart and your story. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.